the Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. My topic for tonight is grace, and I thought I would choose two verses from every chapter, the first four chapters of Ephesians, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and we will look at verses 7 and 8 of each verse, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, 3, 7 and 8, 4, 7 and 8 is for easy memory and someone like me who is getting older each year, I need to have easy access to easy references. You know, the topic of grace, I, I, I often wonder how can I best define grace and try to understand the subject of grace. And then I heard Stuart Briscoe, I think he was from this part of the world, and, and he explained, and his definition of grace was so, so easy that I like to borrow it. He said, in order to understand grace, we must also understand the justice and the mercies of God. Those are part of God's attributes. And he says, the justice of God is that you get what you deserve. The mercy of God is you don't get what you deserve. And the grace of God is, you get what you don't deserve. Now, let me illustrate the points for you. I have two sons. Actually, they're quite big now, six foot tall, 19 and 21 years old. But when they were young, especially when they were two years old, three years old, they loved to eat ice cream. And every time my boys ate ice cream, it was a traumatic affair for me. Especially when we are outside visiting friends because they will make a mess of themselves and also the surrounding area where they eat. So assuming my two boys are very young and they come to church with me tonight and then they insisted on eating ice cream and then they wanted to eat the ice cream right here in the beautiful you know, uh, platform. And I warned them, I said to them, if you make a mess with your ice cream, I'm going to punish you. So they sat here, eat their ice cream, and they make a big mess of the whole area. And I punish them. That's justice. They get what they deserve. But then if I come and saw all the mess, and I look at them, I say, I should punish you. But I'm going to forgive you. That's mercy. Not getting what they deserve. So what about grace? Same illustration. See all the big mess in front of me? And all these church members looking at my children, it's embarrassing. I come to them and I says, well, let me clean up the mess for you. And I'll buy you a new ice cream. That is grace. Getting what you don't deserve. And very often for us, we see in the Bible over and over again that God has given his grace to his people, to people like you and I that do not deserve even the mercy of God. And yet because of his love for us, he decided to show grace to us. And grace in chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 talks about grace for personal living. And in chapter 2, it talks about grace for your personal salvation. In chapter 3, it talks about grace for your personal ministry. And then in chapter 4, it talks about grace for every one of us to live as one in the body of Christ. That God's grace is sufficient for all these matters relating to personal Christian living and personal Christian growth. Chapter 1, it says here in verses 7 and 8, In Him we have redemption. In Jesus Christ we have the redemption. 
through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I checked the dictionary for the meaning of lavish. It was quite a difficult word for me. And one dictionary described lavish as to give to the point of being wasteful. So when I read this verse, that if God were to give us grace to the point of being wasteful, and yet he did it with wisdom and understanding, what is God trying to do? You know, God knows that for us as Christians, we need a lot of grace, especially in the society we live in today, you know, to live a good Christian life. The Bible says God created the stars in the heavens and named them by names. I sail with Ivan and Susan, and on our ship, I love to, in the evening, I love to look out into the skies, and you could see the stars shining clearly in the heavens. And I read some time ago that one astronomer said there are over 200 billion stars in the heavens. I don't know how he counted it. I don't know how much is 2 billion, except I know there's a lot of zeros. But assuming that God created the stars and he is giving it to all of us, you know, that is more than enough to go around. He's lavishing the stars for our enjoyment. So there's plenty to go around. And in the same way, when he lavished grace for us, he is telling us, like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that my grace is sufficient. That is enough for you to live your life, your personal life. You know, especially when I think about personal living, I think of a pastor in China, in, Beijing, in Shanghai. Wang Mingtao wanted to be a teacher. But when he came to faith in Christ, God made him a Bible teacher. And he was very successful, one of the most respected pastors and Christian leaders in China. But it happened during the time when the communists took over China. And in the first few years of their time, they aggressively, the government aggressively tried to er eradicate Christianity out of China and all Western influences as well. And so they came to Wang Mingtao, the pastor of the largest church in China, and they said to him, stop preaching, stop teaching the word of God. And he refused to. So they arrested him and threw him into prison. That man was in his 50s. And was in the early 1950s. And life was difficult for him. He missed his wife. He missed his children. And he just couldn't take the hardship. So he went to the government officials and said, what must I do to get out of prison? And they said to him, sure, just sign a confession. And you confess, you know, that there is, you know, no God and that, you, that is no Christianity, it's a superstitious belief, and you confess those things, and then we will release you uh, out of prison. So he said, okay, life was difficult. So he says, just give me the confession, write anything you want to write, and I will sign it. So he signed the confession, and they released him. He said later on that although he was physically free, he was spiritually a captive. He could not believe that he denied his Lord. So he went back to the prison officials and he said, show me my confession. And they were happy. They gave it to him. And um, you know, he was such an influential Christian leader that anything he wrote against the church, the government can use it against the church. So he took the confession and he said, 
I may be like Peter, I deny the Lord, but I'm not Judas. I will not sell my Lord. So he took the confession letter and tore it into pieces and gave it back to the government. And they put him back into prison for 23 years. He was released in the late, 19, late 1970s. One of our colleague, Peter Carlin, went to visit him. And, um, and Peter came face to face with Pastor Wang Ming Tao. And the man was already in his 80s, frail, physically broken. He, his, he was almost blind. He looked at the Bible. I had a picture of him reading the Bible so close. And he could hardly hear. And so Peter asked him, he says, Brother Wang, 23 years in prison, what was it like? What was it like? And he looked at Peter in the eye, and he smiled. And he said, it was honeymoon with Jesus. And Peter said, how can that be? That you spent 23 years in prison. What was prison like? And then he said, it was difficult. He was beaten, badly treated, went without food, locked into isolation, hard labor, often cold, missed his family, missed his wife, didn't know if they were alive. And, um, and the guards tried to break his spirit to make him confess that there is no Jesus. And he says, sometimes I wanted to give up. I would pray. And I remember the verse in Corinthians that God says, my grace is sufficient for you. So he said, Lord, if you were to lavish grace on me, let it be enough that I survive one day in prison. Then the one day became one week. The one week became one month. The one month became one year. That one year became 23 years. And it says, for 23 years, I felt the presence of Christ in my midst, in the prison, in the workplace. And somehow, whenever I wanted to give up, the grace of God allowed me to press on for just one more day. So he says, Peter, it was honeymoon with Jesus because I had the presence of Jesus around me. You know, very often in our Christian lives, when we face challenges and difficulties, peer pressures and all, and we are tempted to compromise our Christian principles and faith in order to please our friends. But do remember that when we face challenges in work and in life, that God's grace is sufficient because he lavishes it on us. There is plenty, plenty to go around. When I was the director on the Logos 2, there were many issues that I had to deal with. And I remember there were some days when I couldn't get out of my cabin to go to my office to deal with the issues of the day. And I would pray. And then when I finally sat in my office and met with those people, and you know, somehow God's grace was sufficient for me to deal. I just have the sudden strength to deal with the problems I, that we had on the ship. And that allowed me to survive another day. Not survive, to make it true and press on. And um, God's grace is sufficient for personal living. But then the Bible also said God's grace is sufficient for our salvation. In chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says that Paul says that in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, incomparable riches of his grace, Express in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
I come from a culture in Singapore. I live in China now, but I come from a culture where there are many religious faiths. I grew up with Buddhists and Hindus, and I grew up with Muslim friends and all that. And whenever I talk to these people, there is one common thread in their thinking, and that they, and that is that they have to earn their salvation. And even though whatever they do, they were still not sure if they will go to paradise. And yet the Bible said to us that salvation is a gift from God. It is free. There is nothing else you can do. Just simply believe that Jesus, in his all-sufficiency and in his grace, is able to save us. And that is the gift of God to us. We sang the story about grace. Pastor Paul talked about John Newton. I wanted to use John Newton as an example. But I'm going to use another person. And his name was Aping. Aping lived in the walled city in Hong Kong. In the 80s, the walled city in the Hong Kong is just two blocks very close together. And inside the building, there were drug addicts, there were gambling dens, there were um, gangster places and brothels and everything. It was, a, it was a place where even the local police don't go. It is infested with gangsters, the wall city of Hong Kong. Some of you may remember that. There was a British lady called Jackie Pullinger. I think she wrote a book called Chase the Dragon. And she decided to go into this place and work among the drug addicts and bring the gospel to them. And one of the first people she met was this man called Ah Ping. Ah Ping was a gangster, the leader of a gang. And his life, was that he, he was a drug addict, lived in the city, he lived on the earnings of the women prostitutes, and then when he had a child with one of the women, and this little baby was crying so loud one night, and he lost his temper, and he grabbed the child, the baby, and threw the baby into the fire. The mother rescued the baby, took her away, and raised the child. When the girl was about 14 years old, and Naping was deep into opium, couldn't afford his habits because of his gambling habits as well. He found his daughter and decided to sell the girl in order to bring some income to fix his drug habit. Here was a man described by the local Chinese as being so evil that the devil would run away from him. And this man somehow connected to Jackie Pullinger. And somehow in, his, in, in, in the way that she presented to him, he found Christ. And, um, and many psychologists and many people say it is not possible for a person who is so evil, live his whole life in that way, to suddenly transform and become a good person. Psychologically speaking, they say it is not humanly possible. And yet this man's life was so transformed after he came to faith in Christ that the BBC did a, did a documentary in his life. And it was brought to Britain. And the British Parliament got curious and decided to invite Aping to give his testimony to the British Parliament. So Aping in the 90s came over. Here was a man without any education. His body was full of tattoos, a man with... If you lift up his shirts, you can see marks of dagger involving gang fights and all that. A man who lived on the women, uh, earning of women, 
immoral earnings, a man who threw his daughter into the fire and later on sold her for prostitution. And here is a man described again by many that even the devil ran away from him. And he stood before the British Parliament. He says, I was an evil man until I met the grace of God through Christ Jesus. And now I'm a new creature in Christ. The grace of God is sufficient for our salvation. Arping says, I did nothing except simply believing in Jesus. And God did it all. He did it all. So for people like us who come from cultures that we have to earn our way to heaven, we must be reminded that it is only through Christ that we are saved. There's nothing more we need to add to it except simply believe that Jesus is able to save us. It is a gift of God. It is a grace of God through Christ Jesus. So grace for personal salvation. And then the third point I want to share is from chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and it talks about grace for personal living. And Paul said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul. In my eyes, Paul is a spiritual giant. He's up there. He's, he's, he's very high up among God's people. And yet Paul said in verse 8, compared to all these God's people, I am less than the least of all them. I'm less than the least of all God's people. And yet even though he's the least of all God's people, grace was given to him for his ministry. And Paul's ministry was to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles of those days. What this verse is telling me, brothers and sisters, is that every one of us is gifted by God, is graced by God to serve Him in the capacity that He has given to us, whether it be music, PowerPoint, ushering, in a school work, in a student union, or whatever it is. God has gifted us to serve Him. There is no excuse. There is no excuse. Because each and every one of us were given the capacity and the grace to do something in the kingdom of God. My personal story took me back to 1978 when I joined the Dulos. The ship was calling in London. And that was the first time I came to England. I got really excited. And I climbed on board the ship waiting for my assignment. And now this is the first time I ever left Singapore. I was 21 years old. And I remember one, one, the first few days on board, I was sitting in the lounge and I heard somebody call out, we need a volunteer. We need a volunteer. Is there anyone who is free who would like to volunteer? And I asked them, what is it for? They said, oh, there is a women's meeting in Southampton. We need a volunteer. Now, when you are 21 years old, guys, I mean, any women's meeting was exciting. <laughs> so I says, I'm going. I go. So we went to Southampton. And it was in a church, in a big hall, much bigger than this, I remember. And there sat about 25 to 30 women, eagerly with the Bible open, wanting to hear from us. I think the average age of the women is probably about 60, 65 years old. 
And I was there, and I remember I sat in the front, and the leaders came, and he started presenting OM, and he did all his regular program. He never gave me any advance warning what I wanted to do. I thought I just went with him because he needed company. And so I sat there, and somewhere in the middle of his presentation, he looked at me and said, and now Lawrence is coming to share his testimony. I've never shared my testimony in public. I mean, that was the first time. I mean, I've talked to people about my faith, but I've never st stood in front of people and talked. So I sat there frozen. And I try not to look left and right. And he kept calling me, come on, Lawrence, come, come, Brother Lawrence, come. And under tremendous pressure, I stood up. And that was my first mistake. <laughs> because when I stood up, I was committed. So I came up to the front. Then he says, okay, talk to us. And I opened my mouth. And that was the second mistake. <laughs> because I started talking, and I don't know how to end now, I'm watching the clock tonight. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't know what to say. So I kept talking and talking. And I went on and on and on and on for a long time. Until one dear old lady, and then she was in the back. And I still remember she came up very slowly to the front. And then she grabbed my elbow. And she says, all right, dear, you can sit down now. <laughs> and she put me back in my place. I don't know if you ever had that experience, but I wanted to die. I was so embarrassed. And I, it, it, oh man, I tell you, even telling you now was embarrassing. But I felt, Lord, please, never again will I ever sit and stand in front of people and talk. Take me back to the ship. Let me do anything. I'll scrub the deck, paint the deck. I'll work in the kitchen. But never will I ever speak in front of people again. Never will I ever want to stand in front of people again. So I prayed this prayer. And for years, I prayed this prayer. And guess what? The Lord never answered the prayer. <laughs> but praise God, He was the God of the second chance. Because I read this verse in 3rd Ephesians, verse 8, when Paul says, Though I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And if Paul considered himself the least of all God's people, and yet the grace of God enabled him to do the ministry that God has called him to do, surely that is hope for me. And it was with this promise that I decided to try it out again and stand in front of people and talk about God. And... Um, you know, God has graced each and every one of us with the ability to serve Him. And that enables us all to do something in the church. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it talks about here, it says, But to each one of us, grace has given, has Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to all men. Now, the context of Ephesians chapter 4 talks about unity. That even though we come from a diverse culture, diverse background, we're all very different, Jesus made it possible for us to live as one body in the Lord, one faith, one God. The Ephesian moment it's an exciting moment 
for the Jews especially because it was the first time the Jews could sit in front with the Gentiles, share the same meal, and talk about the same God and about the same faith. Before that, for thousands of years since the creations, the Jews dominated and not dominated, monopolized God. They were the only one. And then when the gospel went to the Gentiles, and there are Gentiles that became believers, and they came together, and the churches were nervous. How could it be possible? And so Paul shared with them and says, though there are so many of us, he says in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is only one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. And when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we can be different and praise God, that is diversity. And yet, we are united as one. The grace of God allow us to experience the efficient moment again. I, on the Logos 2, there were 200 of us from 50 different countries. Different cultures, different languages were spoken on board, and different ways of doing things were expressed. We are so diverse, I tell you. We are so different. And yet the beauty of it all is that when we come together to worship God, we are one body in the Lord, one faith. And so for people like us, living in a multinational metropolis, I think like Edinburgh, where people come from different parts of the world for education, for work, for culture, you know, we can share the gospel with these people. And the grace of God will enable us to accept these people and to live with them as one body in the Lord. Even right now, from my, from my positions, I can see that there are people from Africa, from Asia, from other parts of the world. You know, we may be different, but we are one in the Lord, united in Christ. And the grace of God allows us to live that way. So, here we are in this short time together. We see the book of Ephesians that talk about grace for personal living. And if ever a time in your Christian life that you come across situations where you thought, I could no longer go on, remember the grace of God is sufficient. He lavished grace on us. And also remember that our salvation is the gift of God. Nothing that we can boast about except to boast about Jesus. And then there is grace for personal living, our personal, personal ministry. And if you ever think of failure, just remember, of my, remember my experience. It will encourage you. And then remember that we may be so diverse and so different from different countries, from different culture, but we are one in the Lord. And the grace of God will enable us to live that way. Thank you, and God bless you.